Peyronie's disease is more common than most physicians realize. Does it always require surgery? Welcome to our special segment on men's health. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anthony Bella. Dr. Bella is an Assistant Professor of Urology at the University of Ottawa in Canada and also is an Associate Scientist at the Ottawa Health Research Institute as well as the Director of Urologic Basic Science Research, with the primary focus on the molecular mechanisms of cavernous nerve response to injury and the identification of novel treatments for neurogenic ED. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Bella. Thank you, Dr. Lunt. And again, I appreciate having the opportunity to talk about a disease that's not uncommon, causes significant patient morbidity, and is little known to most clinicians. The simple fact is that if your practice has more than 20 men between the ages of 40 to 60 in it, you have patients with Peyronie's disease. And remind us what Peyronie's is, please. Peyronie's disease, in a nutshell, is acquired scar tissue in the penis. What ends up happening is the covering of your two erection cylinders ends up being non-compliant. But really, what does this mean from a practical standpoint? It means that the patient looks down at their erection and sees a corkscrew, a left-handed curve of 90 degrees, the erection pointing back at your belly button, penile pain, you end up having deformity that prevents having intercourse. What are the management options for these men? Management can start with conservative management, observation, but again, this is really being disproven based on the current data which shows that most of Peyronie's does not resolve on its own. So then we need to go to medical methods or non-surgical options, and for some men, surgery ends up being the best treatment option. Are there any sorts of topical treatments, gels or creams? So generally, Peyronie's remains a therapeutic dilemma, and the treatment options that we do have are pills, topical therapy, as you mentioned, gels or creams, injection of medication directly into the scar tissue, which can be a plaque or a marble-sized piece of scar, or other non-surgical options that have historically been used, such as shockwave lithotripsy or radiation, both of which have been disproven either for not being efficacious or actually causing harm. So there are topical treatments, pills, injections, and then surgery. Really, the bottom line here is that few medical methods for Peyronie's have really been subjected to rigorous placebo-controlled testing, and really the variety of treatments that are available today are in proportion to the frequency of their disappointing results. Are there any sort of natural treatments that patients will try? There's a lot out there, and unfortunately, we have to realize that the Peyronie's population is a sitting duck for a lot of marketing and non-evidence-based methods because... Let's face it, who really wants to go into their physician and say, my penis is now crooked, it has a bump in it. It's very difficult to get the patient to come into the office and actually start talking about Peyronie's. So you can look on the Internet, Google Peyronie's disease, and you have a variety of concoctions, starting with pills, going through creams and gels that are available. Unfortunately, most of these are designed to separate money from the patient's wallet and have little or no evidence behind them. In fact, some men do present with inflammation of the penile skin, adhesions, and scar tissue because of what they're actually applying to their penis, which is definitely a non-starter when you're trying to manage with the scar process that's actually deep within the penile tissues. Dr. Bella, why don't you outline for us what the options are in terms of managing Peyronie's with pills? Well, let's talk about pills and, and really question whether or not this makes sense. The evidence is really limited or simply doesn't exist, but again, most commonly in the United States, a pill is used as initial therapy for Peyronie's, especially early on. There's great experience with vitamin E. It's been used for years and years. Unfortunately, if you compare it versus placebo, it hasn't been shown to do anything. The second thing that's happened more recently is the question of safety of vitamin E at higher doses. Now we're talking about cardiac toxicity. So again, vitamin E really 
doesn't have a defined role in Peyronie's disease, although it still ends up being the number one option for most men being treated with Peyronie's early on. Other drugs that have been used are Pataba and Colchicine. At least have some limited evidence. Most often the uh, treatment is limited by side effects, predominantly uh, GI, stomach upsetness, but it can be more serious, including bone marrow suppression with colchicine. Again, evidence is limited, and these agents may be used, but really you're not deriving much benefit from them. A newer agent that is gaining more and more clinical interest was uh, defined by Tom Liu at University of California, San Francisco. This drug, pentoxifiline, is being used in humans for a long time for a variety of inflammatory and fibrotic conditions. What he was able to show that it actually interrupts one of the scar tissue building blocks called TGF-beta. And his experience with over 200 men shows that even with men who have calcifications in their scar tissue, so they're basically forming bone within their penis, some of this scar tissue actually starts to resolve. And he follows this with ultrasound, so it's a good hard endpoint. Treatment would be 400 milligrams three times a day, and several centers are now using this as the initial first pass with Peyronie's disease. Tamoxifen has proven not to be effective, carnitine as well. Again, with regards to oral agents, there is very little evidence that we can really hang our hat on to help out our men with Peyronie's disease. So if oral agents aren't helpful, how about the injection options? So the injection option actually does have some good evidence and, in fact, does have a placebo-controlled multicenter trial, which uh, does allow us to really define their role. The two most common injection agents would be verapamil, a calcium channel blocker. Again, this makes sense because it does try to interrupt part of the scar tissue process. But the best design study so far has been for interferon alpha. And Wayne Hellstrom was able to show in a multicenter randomized placebo-controlled study that you actually did get improvement in curvature. And the bottom line is, is when you're treating Peyronie's, what the patient is seeing is the deformity. And if you can offer something that can bring the deformity back to more normal, this is a potential good treatment. So again, with regards to injection therapy, there's more evidence for it. The results are okay to good. And again, a reasonable option for most men. Any other options for injection therapy? There's absolutely no role for corticosteroids. This was done historically, but in fact does cause more harm with tissue atrophy or obliteration of normal tissue planes, which if one needs to go to surgery, makes the surgery much more difficult. But on the horizon is collagenase, and collagenase is an enzyme that targets collagen for breakdown. And Jerry Jordan has some good experience, although limited, that shows that there is an improvement with this exciting new extract or purified enzyme. And we're really looking forward to the next wave of data from his series to show whether or not this is going to be something that is good and evidence-based and safe. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Anthony Bella the recipient of several national and international prizes for basic and clinical research in urology. We're discussing the management of Peyronie's disease. Anthony, let's talk about surgical options. When is a patient a surgical candidate? So again, I think we need to emphasize that the majority of men really won't require surgical intervention because the curvature isn't really limiting their ability to have intercourse. So again, really in order to define somebody to be a surgical candidate, there are some pretty strict criteria to follow. The first one is the disease has to be in a stable or mature phase. This makes absolute common sense because if you're going to operate on these men, you don't want to do it while their scar tissue is changing and the change in shape is continuing to go on because you may do the best surgery and give a man a straight penis, 
but within three months they're back knocking on your door saying, you know, really what did you accomplish for me because I now have more curvature. Most experts would say that the peronies needs to be there for about 12 months with stability or non-changing deformity for about six months. The deformity really has to compromise intercourse. You don't operate on a 20-degree slight curve that you're still able to use for penetration. And the last real important criteria would be the quality of erections. And this is key because if you do a surgery to correct a curvature, but you're not able to get the rigidity for intercourse, again, you really haven't accomplished anything. For those men, again, there is a different option, and that would be implantation of a penile prosthesis or a penile implant. Okay. Aside from implants, what are the main surgical approaches that you do have? So it's really beyond the scope of today's talk to discuss all the specifics of reconstructive surgery for peronies, but let's look at the three major families of options. The first would be a plication or a wedge resection. Basically, what we're doing here is we're shortening the side that doesn't have the disease. So we're, again, trying to make the penis more symmetrical. These are great procedures in that they're successful. The satisfaction is 80 to 90%. However, the biggest drawback is that you don't give any of the penile length back to the patient. In fact, you lose some more penile length because you're really shortening the opposite side, which is more normal. And this ends up being one of the limitations of this family of approaches. Okay, so that's one. What are the others? Second would be grafting. Now, for a short penis or a complex deformity, such as an hourglass narrowing or severe indentation, as long as there is good erectile function, putting graft tissue over the area of where the disease is and incising the scar tissue so that you basically open it up and allow it to expand is a good option. Now, we don't know, based on current data, whether using biomaterials is better than using vein grafts taken from the saphenous vein. But again, these are good procedures which are safe. You don't have the same loss of length. In fact, some men get length back. The biggest drawback of this approach, as opposed to the plication or the wedge, is the fact that these men have a heightened chance of getting impotence or erectile dysfunction. This number can approach 20 to 40%. So again, it's not without its drawbacks. Okay, so surgery is definitely your last resort. Lots of different options, though. Again, I would assume that you really have to refer to a urologist who has good experience in this area. Again, I think if you look at it in a very evaluative manner, surgery really offers the best chance of correcting the deformity of peronies, and it's patient selection that's the key. And then the second most important is which procedure you use. Again, you have to work in concert with the patient and their partner and really work towards the goals that they have. And again, as you said, you need to have somebody who does do this on a fairly regular basis because the opportunity for success is very high. But again, that success may be related to the amount of this type of surgery that one does. Is there any role at all for things like radiation therapy? Radiation therapy, for all the right reasons, is not used in contemporary peronies practice. The results have been disappointing. You have compromise of erectile function because of the radiation itself. And again, you're exposing the patient to risks of malignant change as defined by the World Health Organization. So again, it is not recommended for the treatment of Peyronie's disease. Dr. Bella, I think the one thing that's clear from all you've said about management and treatment of Peyronie's is this is an illness for a specialist, that those of us not urologists shouldn't be touching this, so to speak. I agree to a point. I think the biggest thing to remember, though, is that the gatekeeper for identifying Peyronie's disease is often the primary care practitioner or the GP. So again, as part of the general health evaluation, asking one or two questions around sexual health, be it erections or just 
Is the shape of the penis the same as it was before when you get erect? Oftentimes, if you open the door a crack, the patient or their partner will open that door and say, yeah, you know, there is a change there now, and we're not quite sure what's going on. And I think at that point, it's very important to try to identify, yes, is this Peyronie's or not, and then basically pass it on to your urologist. Great. Well, thanks for enlightening us today, Dr. Bella. You're very welcome. We've been discussing the management of Peyronie's disease with our guest today, urologist Dr. Anthony Bella. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to a special segment on men's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.